This is Boomer in the Morning with Ryan Pinder on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour number two. Yes, sir. Feeling it. No coffee today, Matty boy? Oh, it's right here, boom. <sighs> I got my my mana mug. Keeps it very warm. Should we caffeinate everyone? You guys want to, uh, you guys got any caffeine? You guys don't drink co- coffee, do you, right? I got coffee. Do you? Yeah. No creamer today, though, so I had to drink it black, which is... Uh, boy. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Well, here's to you. Hey. Salut. Hey, salut. Cheers, boys. Cheers. Mm-hmm. And I hope everybody joined us at home or wherever you're uh, you're with us today as we get into hour number two. Oh, and now some now some water. Good for you. Yeah. Good for Prevents you. Prevents cramping. Justin Dunk will join us a little bit later on. We'll talk some hockey here as the uh, the Abs and Lightning will be on your radio tonight, six o'clock start. Abs up two games to none. Mm-hmm. I just want to, uh, What's that? I want to get my, uh, you know, because I hate to have mm-hmm. erroneous uh, Reports, info. text, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. So I'm just going to do one of these. Uh, it's a little search, and then a there. All right, and that is one big, I'm going to say, okay, so um, I have a bit of a Johnny Gaudreau update for you. Oh. 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 I'm, well, I mean, here's oh. a, it's a Johnny Gaudreau update. Now, you may or may not. Uh, Johnny Gaudreau was in Philadelphia on the weekend. Oh, I guess that's an update. Sure. At the Kenny Chesney concert. Oh. You're welcome. <laughs> so read in... <laughs> As you see fit, Johnny Gaudreau, just hours after John Tortorella is named head coach of the Flyers, is in Philadelphia watching Kenny Chesney in concert. I'll let that. I'll, I'll allow that to sink in. Dumas, what? <laughs> do you? Uh, is this? Do you see this as bad news? Is this good news? Are you? Are you at all concerned now? To uh, to learn this information, Dumas not here right now. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Well, you know, it's only the show. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Plug? Uh, I don't. I mean, I don't think I read anything too much. No, I don't think so. I you mean, don't think that has anything to do with contract negotiations with the Flames might or seem a little sketch? But maybe Johnny Gaudreau just loves him some country music. I think he does. Calgary, though. Like, I think we knew that. Home country music. I uh, maybe well, not. Well, that's home, what I was going. That's what I was going to say. If, Flames should be able to combat that love of, con- hey, we get lots of concerts here, yeah, the roof, of the- but uh, apparently, 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 at some point, we're going to get a new building and maybe some better, uh, you know, some, maybe some better concerts in town, the bigger concerts. Yeah, we'll, we'll get Kenny Chesney for sure. We can get him in, no problem. He was the out. He was uh, at the football stadium, Lincoln Financial, in was, Philadelphia. Is that where Chesney played? Yeah. That's a big venue. That's right. Kenny Chesney, big uh, big name, Matt. Yeah, I know well, he, I knew that, but I was like, wow, a whole football field. I know he's never him. played Vandaloo or whatever <laughs> show you go to. But there is a photo on his uh on his on the gram taking a photo with members of Old Dominion. Another country music act. 
Oh, there he is. There, he's got a he's got a hat on. Oh, that's right? a that's a country music hat right that's there. Kind of a it's not a cowboy hat, but he's kind of he's feeling it a little bit. Yeah, right? that's a big smile. It is. That's a humongo smile. Well, you know why? You, you take a look. I believe you know. You look in the background. Like the, that's some back backstage. Oh, stuff, yeah, right? there. That's. Those are the the. He's got one of those cables you know, and all the bars and. Right, what's the, the shirt? Is it a Pirates Cove something or other? Just but, a, why? Just a random tourist shirt. But he's got of the. All uh, he's got the backstage pass there. Oh, that's right? what that is. That's what that is. That's the. Is he seriously just wearing like some tourist garb? What are you? What are you? What are you? What's the shirt for? Why are you? F- it's, it's just a shirt. I, mean, I was. Sorry. Pirates? Going to a big show, going backstage with Kenny Chesney, and he's wearing his Pirates of the Caribbean shirt. Well, out of all that, I didn't think you'd get hung up, hung up on, on what he was on the, on the shirt he was wearing, but uh, Pirates Cove Resort and Marina. Let's take a look. Just repping. I just thought it was kind of, I didn't, uh, Florida. It's in Florida. It's just a place. Yeah, it's a place. Yeah. Where maybe he's been. Yeah. And maybe he was given the shirt, would be my guess. Now, what does that mean? If he was wearing a Pirates Cove Resort and Marina Mm t-shirt, and it's located in Florida. Panthers. Hmm? Whoa. Huh? Now we're getting old. Everybody's getting in. Now we're starting the rumor mill boom. Let's see where it is here. Because, of course, Florida not, uh, you know, Florida's a big place. You just kind of. Closer to Tampa? Is it closer well, it's, to no, it's, all, it's along, along the coastline there, but it's quite a bit north. It's like past West Palm. It's, it's by Jupiter. So I don't know if we can connect the Panthers necessarily there. But either way, that's the. Uh, it's kind of smack dab in between both. Yeah, well, whatever, right? Yeah, I guess. So that's your uh, breaking your your Gaudreau breaking news is that he was at a country music concert, and if you're worried that it was because he's Philadelphia, that's where home is, just outside of Philly. All the time in the off season, he goes that's there right. every year. So if you see him at a Trader Joe's in Philadelphia, in Philadelphia. We don't have Trader Joe's here. That's the one thing Philadelphia probably has. I'm assuming Philly has a Trader Joe's. We don't have that here. No, we don't have those. No. Or at a Phillies game, we don't have Major League Baseball here. No, or the basketball. No. No Joel Embiid. No. No Allen Iverson. Legendary Roots crew. They're from Philadelphia. Uh, text line is open. Jupiter, Florida. Maybe he's retiring. Oh, hadn't given that a lot of thought. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Yeah, if you went I down really to Pirates Cove Resort and Marina, saw that third option. I really yeah. thought it was signed with Calgary or signed somewhere else, but retire. But either way, uh, that's uh, pretty quiet on that on that end, and and all the others. Of, of course, I think that I feel like a Gaudreau deal has to. Not so, well. Take precedence, obviously, mm-hmm. but I think until you know whether he's in or he's out, and if he's in, how much it's taking of the cap. I don't know that you're diving into the Manjapani and 
the other deals that you need to get done. Partly, partly because, uh, you know, the money. And also, I think the other one, I don't know if they're linked. No one will, no one will be able to, to say 100%, and maybe they aren't. But I have to believe for Kachuk, what his long-term plans are will be linked to what Johnny does here in the next, what, less than a month? Three weeks. Three weeks away, more or less, from free agency opening. Okay. Three weeks, one day. Yeah, man, it's... It is one of those things that, as time continues to tick, I keep my expectation of him resigning continues to slide. But really, this is going to be one of those things that I think for the next three weeks, you get a breadcrumb here or there. But just knowing how things go with this organization, it's probably going to be pretty tight-lipped until Johnny's really made a decision. They've been tight-lipped till now. That's the one thing out of this whole procedure that they have done a great job. And maybe it's because there's been nothing going on, but we know that's not the case. There's been nothing leak out. There was that Dean Blundell thing from last week, but I think that kind of proved to be what it was, which was nothing. But they've they've kept the lid on it. They've done a very good job of it. And I don't know, I don't think for for me it's not a it's not dwindling by the day. I'm it, for me it's kind of a holding pattern. I would expect this to be the case. Mm-hmm. Once we once we flip the calendar and it's July, now I feel like it's what do they call it? Nut cutting time. That's getting down to business. And then it becomes a day-by-day thing for me. I think that's very fair. Because Pinder and I talked about it, and yes, Johnny has the... He has all the leverage and all of the power, and maybe he comes back at the 11th hour and says, I'm in. But I do wonder if the Flames just don't have the luxury of waiting right until free agency hits to have that much... To have that that cap space and all of that, and maybe it doesn't. By then, the draft is already done. You're not going to know by the draft, I don't think. But, man, if 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 he doesn't sign, and not that you're going to trade trade his rights or anything like that, but if you lose the player and don't replace him by way of trade or or free agency leading up to it, I feel like. This is this is a this is big. This is a tough, tough pill to swallow for sure. You weren't going to trade him last year. You were making nope. the playoffs. You knew that. Nope. You're not trading him now. Mm-hmm. I still think it gets done, and I just that's just kind of my gut instinct on it. And somebody texting out, oh, "Come on, boys, the guy's allowed to go home in the off season. Don't be silly and looks." I was being sarcastic, is what I was doing. Yes. I said he was at a concert in Philly. Well, yes, it's because he lives there and he likes Kenny Chesney. I was, and then we did a deep dive on his shirt. That's what I was I was playing on the fact that it was, yes. So, yeah, I do think he signs, but I do think we're, we're getting closer to where you can start to pucker a little bit. Well, July, obviously with the free agency opening up later than typical, um, the draft being a little bit later than usual. July 1st is an interesting date because it's when the first buyout window opens up. I don't think it's nearly as relevant to the Flames as it is to many other teams in the NHL when you think of maybe a Toronto or 
an Edmonton. But I do think that even at that point, you kind of have to have an idea of where he's going to go. Because like you mentioned, then you have to address that hole in your top line. What are you doing? Draft? Trade? What are you going to do? Like the only guy who I think is really out there on free agency who is someone that could fit the same mold is Philip Forsberg. And I don't think that's something that you can just call him up 10 minutes before a free agency opens and try and sort out. That's a guy who's going to have a long list of suitors. That said, if you were ready to pay Gaudreau money to Gaudreau, it's going to be the same more or less for Forsberg. You just take that bag of cash and you slide it down the table to somebody else, I guess. I'm with you. He would be the only guy that I would be swinging for the fences for. I mean, that's just off the top of my head. He's, he's a great player. I don't his age is still that where I think you can sign him to a long-term deal. Granted that one's 7, you can't go 8 because he's not on your team. But you go 7 years on Forsberg. I don't think you're it's 27 years old. You're talking about a rickety old player in the last few years of that contract. But like you say, there's going to be a number of teams. But it's the same as Gaudreau. There's going to be lots of teams. But do is that the player you need at the position you need and are you are you devoting that much of your cap to him? Are you a team that's one Forsberg away? Is it part of a nucleus that you're trying to build? I don't know. Because my assumption would be, with Roman Yossi coming in at $9 million, and it's kind of what you know some of the insiders have talked about over the course of the year, that Nashville's got their internal cap, similar to what we saw when Mark Giordano was with the Flames. And no one gets paid more than Gio. No one gets paid more than Roman Yossi. And he's at $9 million. So that tells you that Forsberg deal, if he's going to free agency, because you got to imagine that Everything being the same, he'd probably prefer to stay in Nashville, but that means that number is going to be higher than nine. I don't think you can play that game anymore, though, just because of the salary cap. I think it's great that you want to. No one makes more than Nicholas Lidstrom does. Oh, no one makes more than Roman Yossi does. No one makes more than Mark Giordano does. The internal caps. Well, yeah, I mean Kachuk did right. I think that with how that goes, it's as a GM, you want that. You'd, you'd love it where it's like oh, we can't have the younger player, the more inexperienced and less proven making more. I get I get all of that, mm-hmm. but I don't know that you can do it anymore, specifically with an unrestricted free agent. You're paying. It, it's just a different scenario. Yeah. But that said, Roman Yossi, it's tough, too, because if you're Nashville, you're saying, well, Roman Yossi was a better player this year. Like, you, you scored 40, but Roman Yossi was our MVP. And then it might have been Soros, and then it might have been you. So the my biggest takeaway from this is if you want Philip Forsberg, you're probably going to have to pay him more than $9 million on the free agent market to get him. And Johnny Gaudreau is going to be the same. So what are you looking at? A million dollars difference? A million and a half? Less? Yeah, I don't know. Don't what... love that if it's very close, right? And you lose the ability to give that eighth year, which is more total dollars, which I still think at the end of the day is kind of the hammer that the Flames have. If a deal gets done, it's got to be eight years. Yep. Because it's it's just extra dull. And it's crazy to think that, oh, it's just another year. What's the difference? Well, about $10 million potentially. What if I give you $10 million today? Is that a big, it, that's a big deal. And for Johnny Gaudreau, it's a big deal. I get it. Um, well, it's not 10, it's 80, right? And I don't, I mean, I don't know that Tortorella has a lot to do with it, but I think it would. I think if you're Gaudreau and you're going to be signing, if, if it's, say it's the Flyers, six, seven-year deal, it's a four-year deal for Torts. 
You'll be talking to buddies that have played for him for sure. If that's it, if if the Flyers are truly on his radar, you'll be calling up buddies that have played for him. So what is it as bad as they say? What is this guy like? Is it nightmares with this dude or is it? Of course you would. And I think it would play in. We'll break. We'll come back. Ken Weeb, hour three. Avs, lightning tonight. Game number three. Only five teams have come back to win a cup after being down 0-2, the most recent, in 2011. Boston did it versus Vancouver. Tampa's going to need to do it here. They came back from 0-2 last round. Can they do it again? We'll talk to Weebs at about 10 or so. Justin Dunk, Three Down Nation, when we come back. Sportsnet 960, the fan. No Ryan Pinder today. He is back in tomorrow. Matty Rose sitting in. Avalanche and Lightning, game three. Amelie Arena tonight. Can the Lightning find something in their game here? They have been outscored 11-3. But run right out of the rink in game two. But now, I'm back at home. And as they say, you're never in trouble until you lose at home. Is that what they say? Somebody says that. I don't know if I... Yeah, sure. I don't know if I'd buy it this, this time. But uh, either way, pivotal game three tonight on your radio at six. Tampa Bay. Need a huge come from behind effort. Yeah, sure. Much, much like the Stampeders nice. going back to the weekend. That's a good segue. I'm not, I'm not nuxing in that. It's that, come on. that was lame. No, nope. uh, they were down. They Sorry. were down big. It was a big twenty-four nothing. They were down, but then come back and roar to victory with an extra time victory over the Hamilton Ticats in Hamilton. Our next guest, Three Down Nation CFL uh, expert and insider Justin Dunk joins us. Justin, good morning, man. How are you? Doing well, fellas. What about you? Well, we're good. We're you know what? I've never been to I've not been to Tim Hortons Field. I was never at Ivor Wynn. I don't know what the, the the situation with the wind, but it seems like wind is a big deal in Hamilton, and it certainly uh, played a big part in Saturday's game. If you you had it, you looked pretty good. If you didn't, it looked like you were you were in a scramble. You were in scramble mode, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's usually a factor. It's weird if you're at Tim Hortons Field or the old Ivor Wynn Stadium. And wind wasn't a factor. It seems to swirl in the stadium there for whatever reason. A lot of people talk about the lake effect and it coming off the water there. So it's definitely a factor. But usually that happens more in the fall. But certainly it was on Saturday because, as you mentioned, the team with the ball that was going with the wind looked a heck of a lot better than the team going against it. Yeah, tale, tale of two games. Uh, I guess your thoughts on the first two quarters where – Obviously, Calgary, they lose uh, Kadeem Carey. They go to their second, uh, well, I guess third string running back because uh, Diedrich Mills is injured. So, But it, they didn't have much going at all. And I, like a lot of people on social media, wondering when is Jake Mayer coming in? Is this Bo coming out of the game again? But Dickinson sticks with them, and then he starts threading the needle. He hits some big plays. What did you see first half to second half? What was the difference in why Calgary was able to come back and win this thing? Well, first of all, it was a difficult adjustment after Kadeem Carey went out of the game because Charlie Power, who's usually a fullback, played the majority of the game at tailback there. Dave Dickinson, head coach, talked about it after that. He had a conversation with Orlando Steinauer, the Tiger Cats head coach, after the game. And Steinauer was like, we're not respecting your run game, especially when Power was in there. With all due respect, he does yeoman's work, but it's not the same as Kadeem Carey. So to me, that was the difference when they went in at halftime, made some second-half adjustments, and then the key was just not turning the ball over, but it was clear that something clicked with Bowie by Mitchell, that he's on his way to being back to that premier quarterback that we're used to seeing. We did not see a game like this from Mitchell, dare I say, all of 
2021 in that shortened year. And obviously it started with him dealing with that broken leg. And I don't feel like he ever really recovered on the field, even though maybe physically he was back. But you saw the Bo Levi Mitchell vintage form in my mind live at Tim Hortons field, slinging the ball in the middle of the field to the outside, down the field, all over the place, attacking multiple spots, having trust in his receivers like Reggie Bagleton and Kamar Jordan. And to me, that was the difference. It was Mitchell the gunslinger, not Mitchell the guy last year that was throwing a bunch of picks in the second half. Um, Matty and I were talking about it earlier, and I know that confidence is a big thing for all athletes no matter what the sport, but it feels like to me Bo is one of those guys, and you can see it. You can see it in his body language, his face, how he plays, that if he is lacking confidence – He's a different player altogether. And as he started to hit some of those long passes, he hit uh, Kamar Jordan for a big one. He hit Bagleton, uh, Bagleton deep, and then Malik Henry got a big one. It, he felt it coming on. You can just see how much the confidence affects his game. Definitely. And you can see it in the way he was throwing the football and the way he was talking after the game. He was kind of throwing it in the haters' face, saying he wasn't going to use his middle fingers to show them how he felt, but that – he was back to that level, and I think that's what I was getting at. My first answer about Mitchell was that the swagger seems to be back, and it took that second half to come back, and, yeah, the defense forced a bunch of turnovers as well to get them back in the game, but it was clear to me on the field in the second half and overtime and post game that Mitchell has that attitude back that has helped him lead this team to be the top in the West Division throughout his time there, two great cups and two MOPs. Justin, what have you made of uh, the defense for Calgary? I know they've been real banged up uh, injury-wise, especially in the secondary. But, you know, maybe some, some not outstanding first halves through the first two weeks of the season. But they've only allowed nine points in the, the two second halves that they've played as well. And that's critical to me. It shows that even though they might be kind of younger or banged up, that they can make those adjustments at halftime, the young guys in particular, and put that into action. So, I really thought like this defense would be better, especially in the first half of these games and just to start the season because they got some veteran guys there and I thought Cameron Judge could be really good in the middle. I still think he can be, but I think there's an adjustment period there for him so he can play faster. But I think overall the group is probably a little bit younger than maybe what was expected. And I think as we go along here that what they've done in the second half is what they can carry out through full games. Yeah, and Jameer Thurman has kind of been a story. He gets the interception to seal the game. He had an interception in week one that kind of turned the game as well. What have you seen from the middle linebacker of the Stampeders? Dude's making plays. That's just what this guy does. It seems like he's all over the field, makes it at the times that you need it most, as you mentioned with those interceptions in week one and week two. He's a versatile guy that you can use in multiple ways, and clearly Brett Monson has done that in terms of scheming it up in the offense doesn't know where he's going to be from snap to snap. I uh, had a chance to interview Titus Wall on Sunday, uh, and I asked him about the play where he stripped Dane Evans and ran for a touchdown, and he said he saw Jamal Adams do it in the NFL two or three years ago and has wanted to try it ever since. Have you ever seen a play like that? (laughs) It's rare, man. I think we've seen it on a couple of occasions, and from Hamilton's perspective, Dane Evans was describing it after the game. He felt like he surged forward enough to get the first down and that the whistle should have been blown. But to me, that's not the way that you're supposed to play football, right? You're supposed to play through the echo of the whistle. And in that situation, you're not letting the ball go at all. So credit to Wall 
for getting in there, sifting through all that junk and traffic that happens when you're in that short yardage situations and just pulling the ball away and going and scoring. Like it was an amazing play. It was savvy. And clearly he had it in his mind, as you mentioned, from watching Adams do it in the NFL. And as a quarterback watching it, what's kind of going through your mind? To be honest, my thought as a former Canadian university quarterback, obviously not a pro one, was you got to protect the football. And I've seen it you know, time and time again in the NFL and the CFL on different levels where some guys now are stretching that ball out. But mm-hmm. you got to make sure that if you're going to do that, you ain't losing the football. And you could argue from the Tiger Cats perspective that that play was a massive momentum changer. And ultimately, in my mind, I think that cost Hamilton the game. Wanted to ask you about the rest of uh, the CFL week as we kind of get set for week three. The Stampeders will be hosting the Edmonton Elks Saturday for their week three matchup. Elks lost again. Uh, It wasn't as lopsided as their week one defeat in Saskatchewan. Did you see a step forward from uh, that Elks team led by Chris Jones? It was certainly a positive in terms of just the compete level and the defense not giving up some of the chunk yardage plays that we saw against BC and really easy plays too. Like I'm not taking anything away from BC and Canadian Nathan Rourke did a great job at the quarterback position in week one, but the Elks showed that they could bounce back. I think a lot of people felt like the riders would roll in there and just put it on the Elks again. But you knew that especially Chris Jones coach team was going to be better, was going to have fight, especially at home, the first game at home this season at Commonwealth stadium. So they certainly, showed some things. Nick Arbuckle was solid at quarterback. He goes the distance there. Kenny Lawler looked like an absolute stud, well worth that $300,000 at least for one game and even the opening week as well. So he's clearly developed a rapport and could be a dynamic tandem, Arbuckle to Lawler. And the defense, you know, got a little healthier, some more of those veteran guys that Jones likes to play back there and they didn't give up as many big plays. So I think that's what kept him in the football game. And to be honest, before Cody Fajardo rolled out away from the blitz and hit, it was Mitch Pickton for the touchdown. That game was hanging in the balance. The Elks had a shot to win, so it was a big turnaround for them. How are you feeling about Cody Fajardo and that Riders offense right now? It looks really nice. The offensive line, to be honest, has played above what I expected them to be able to do because they didn't really necessarily address that offensive line in the offseason the way that some people around the league felt they should. Yes, Dan Clark does go down, and there's certainly some concern there as far as how long he'll be out. And he has a lot of respect, but if you talk to people around the league, when they're watching the film of Dan Clark, they feel like he's going on fumes at this point. He's got his beloved in the locker room, not taking a shot at his character at all, just saying that from a film perspective. So I think the offensive line has really driven what the Riders have been able to do on offense to start the season. They score 30 against a stout Hamilton Tiger Cats defense. They go into Commonwealth, make plays when they needed to. They pushed around that Elks defense. Jamal Morrow goes over 100 yards, and Cody Fajardo was efficient and came up with that clutch play, as I mentioned, when needed against the Chris Jones defense after Jones had been chirping him all offseason, saying that he wasn't a top-five passer in the league. Well, it was Fajardo's arm that ultimately drew the, or drove the stake into the Elks' heart that night. And uh, Winnipeg, 2-0 and now. They beat the Red Blacks twice. I thought week one was maybe closer than Winnipeg would have liked. Second week probably feels the same. What have you made of the two matches that we've seen between Winnipeg and Ottawa? The Blue Bombers can play their B game and still win. That's what stands out to me the most. In week one, 
they did not play up to their standard at all. And I think they would even argue that in week two. Adam Hill was talking about that after the game. But they still win. That's the critical element for Winnipeg is they find ways to get it done even when they're not executing, especially on offense at a high level. I think it's going to take some time for that offense to come together and honestly get used to not having Andrew Harris there, even though he was out for a decent amount of the shortened season last year, because it's a different feel around that offense with Brady Olivier and Johnny Augustine running the football. And they need those reps to create that rhythm with the offensive line and make sure they hit the holes when they're supposed to be or when they're there and the creases and anticipate it all. So I think what I took away from those matchups with Ottawa is the Red Blacks are really good. They're going to be a contender in the East for sure. But it's that the Bombers can kind of come out and warm up a little bit, play their B game, and still win, which is scary for the rest of the league. The last one for me, just on uh, the Toronto Argonauts. Uh, probably shouldn't have won that game with the last-minute chip <laughs> shot missed by Montreal. But uh, did you like what you saw from the Argos in their first game of the season? You did early on, and then there were some mistakes there, and obviously they got gifted the win. David Cote misses like a 21-yard field goal, just a chippy that I think maybe all three of us could probably make. So that's something that they walk away with getting a win, even though it felt like a loss. And, and talking to Ryan Dinwiddie after the game and McLeod Bethel-Thompson, you could tell that yeah, they got a win, but they didn't really feel like they deserved it. And they looked good early, but then they just kind of bogged down, and there was a little bit of no turnover issues there, but I think the Argos have the makings of a contender in the East. They're the, I guess, reigning East Division regular season champions, and we're a couple plays away from going to the Grey Cup last year. So I think you can certainly see that with this Argos team. they got to play some more consistent football. They need to be more disciplined. We saw Dejon Allen try to put an ankle lock on a guy, and he got booted from the game. I don't care what that dude did to Allen before because Dinwiddie said that there was maybe a kick in the chest or something like that. You can't retaliate like that. I don't care if it's week two or in the playoffs. You can't just do that at any time in the season. So that was a takeaway from me. They need to be more disciplined. they got to protect the football better and make plays when they're there. The Argos honestly probably should have blown the Alouettes out. The Argos are in Vancouver to play BC on Saturday. I guess two things. Number one, it's the West going to the East or the East going to the West? West teams going to Montreal, they have a hard time. Toronto comes out West and they struggle. What is it about those those road trips? It's, I, I get there's time zones in that, but man, it is it, it's almost uh, a guarantee sometimes. And number two, have you talked in the last week? Have you talked to people in BC? What led to that huge crowd? And can we expect another thirty thirty five thousand on Saturday against the Argos? Well, in terms of that crowd, it was the hype, one Republic concert around the game, some actual marketing in BC, because people will tell you that, you know, as great as David Barely was for the league and keeping these teams afloat, those last years in BC, he wasn't really spending much on marketing. So I think that certainly helped Mar Doman giving the Lions a fresh look, you know, outside the football team, getting fans engaged there and opening up the upper bowl to get them in there. And after a performance like that, you would imagine a bunch of them are going to return, right? You can build on that hype. You have Canadian quarterback Nathan Rourke, who was born in Victoria in the area that you can market really well. So I think they've done a great job there. As far as, you know, the East teams going West and the West teams going East, we've seen some teams come out a couple days earlier to try to fight the time zone issue. And that's what makes Calgary's win in Hamilton even more impressive is the fact that, they're a West team coming East and they had that juice in the second half in overtime 
to get it done. So honestly, I think it's just a mindset thing. It is more difficult when you go out to BC because you have that extra hour of time difference and the guys might not necessarily be used to it. But we've seen the best teams in the league over the years, the ones that are you know, locking up top spot, and largely that's been Calgary. They get it done. It doesn't matter where it is because they have a mindset that they're going to come out and be prepared no matter the time zone, no matter the stadium, no matter if it's west or east or wherever the game's being played. Thanks for your time, buddy. Good to talk to you and enjoy uh, enjoy this week. We'll see what the uh, we'll see what the Stamps will be able to do against the Elks. I, I, I'm very curious to see what the Elks are. It's it's easy for Calgary and Edmonton to kind of take shots at each other, and you look at where the Elks have been <laughs> and, and all of that. But uh, I wonder if Calgary's maybe ready to put it all together for four quarters instead of two at a time over the course of two weeks. Oh boy, if they do that, look out. Yeah, we'll see, and I'd be okay with it. Hey, thanks, man. Good to talk to you. Yeah, be well, guys. You too. Justin Dunk, Three Down Nation. If the uh, – and, and again, you go back to the Elks. I, I don't think anybody's expecting them to go from where you were last year mm-hmm. to where, where, where are you going to be this year. Um, but if the Stamps can start to find a bit more of a rhythm, because even against – you go back to week one, pretty spotty at times, find a way, and then certainly for two quarters, no good at all. Got their – Ass whooped, as Dave Dickens said. Yeah, I think Danny Austin put it very succinctly on Twitter. If the Stampeders can stop allowing their opponent to get out to a 23-point lead, like that that might really bode well for the group. Be able to build on that moving forward. Yeah, don't do that. Just maybe don't do just, it. Maybe just don't give up 20-plus before you're able to tack on any. Yeah. Uh, so take. You can it is pretty Use hot, that yeah. to ask, well, ask Dave on Wednesday when yeah, I'm out here. Don't. You can leave that one for Ryan. All right. Saturday, 5 o'clock. McMahon, Battle of Alberta, be there. Why? Where else are you going to be? What else are you going to be doing? Um, I'll be there. Well, I know you'll be there. You ever? Uh, hmm? Do you enjoy uh, soft drinks? Like, like pop? Yeah. Like soda? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. You ever drink a lot of it? What's a lot? I don't really like drinking a lot of soda these well, days. Well, not a, yeah, no. exactly. And I think people are quick. What about? Uh, you guys in the other room, you got you big pop drinkers. You enjoy a good meh. Sometimes, yeah. I like it. I've started drinking bubblies lately. Does that yeah, count? Yeah, bubblies are good. Yeah, so no, no sugar and anything, so yeah. they're not really pop. No, because how many did John Daly have in the course Diet Coke? Sixteen. Sixteen yeah. is that what it was? I think so. He had more darts than holes. Right. And nearly a a, a Diet Coke per hole. A baker's dozen. Yeah, something like that. No, I'm not looking to make fun because I know they have Diet Cokes, 21 cigs, six packs of peanut m M&M. There you go. Zero ounces of water. That's oh. a ton. So, again, one more time, how <laughs> many cans of Coke? 12 Diet Cokes. 12 DCs. That's the case right there. So 12, average round, four hours or so. Four and a half, Let's maybe. extrapolate that over. How many hours of a day are you awake? That sort of thing. Anyway, I, but I've known there are some people that have a hard time kicking... Diet Cokes, diet soda pop, whatever, right? Yeah, sure. Could be just as addictive. Yeah. There's a man mm-hmm. oh, in no. uh, the United Kingdom. Oh, geez. Says he was addicted oh. to Pepsi. Now, I'm not bringing Maybe I shouldn't even say. This is, it's not Pepsi's fault. To an unnamed cola brand. Pepsi's delicious. I love a good Pepsi. Sure. 41-year-old Andy Curry worked at a supermarket, got himself hooked on this Dark brown devil juice. <laughs> he would drink 
30 cans oh. per day. Oh, my God. 30 cans of soft drink per day for 20 years. Oh, I worked at uh, whatever Tesco. It's a. I worked because yeah. I work at Tesco. I could just buy it straight after work and take it home. I just needed to have it. As soon as I woke up, I'd go to the fridge and pour myself a large glass of blank and just carry on through the day. He uh, ballooned <laughs> to two hundred and sixty-six pounds. He was unhealthy. It was uh, his teeth he, were probably disintegrating. In doctors, his mouth. doctors warned him that his health was in jeopardy. Diabetes, the diabetes, heart disease, potential pancreatic yeah, uh, comes, issues comes calling. So he got himself. Uh, he went to see a, uh, a therapist and a hypnotist. Sure, right on. And the hypnotist uh, apparently got things got things working because he has kicked it. He now drinks only water and doesn't miss it. He did the math. It probably cost him around $8,500 a year Jeez. to drink his, uh, his Bapsi. Now, that is a rather Eight. expensive habit. 219,000 cans, nearly 18,000 pounds of sugar, or equivalent of 7 million sugar cubes, <laughs> when he first started drinking it in his 20s. Oh, no. That's so much pop. It cost me a fortune, to be honest. I could have bought a car every year for the same amount I was spending on Pepsi. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Delicious, though. I'll tell you. What was the line about, I could just pick it up on my way out of work? Well, yeah, I could just grab it on the way home. It's pop. You can get it anywhere. Yeah, but it's... But he worked at the Tesco supermarket, so... But he wouldn't have to make a stop on the way home. It was just there. Right oh, for some okay. people, for some people, it's the darts, and it's always in a prominent area. Right when you're, you got to make get the big, yeah. Right, it's How always are you a going big through a till front. without seeing a. Can you imagine if they, hey, uh, whatever your name is, Andy Curry, we're doing a Super Bowl weekend, and uh, we got to put that big Pepsi, the mountain of Pepsi ca- cases together. Oh, 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 you just have the shakes. He's getting all itchy. Just pour it all over himself. Ah! Oh, he's a mess. Find him in a stall. He's hands crumpled around the bottom. So drink water, kids. Yeah, sure. Drink water. And if you are going to enjoy the the dark colas, please drink responsibly. Everything in moderation, Matt. Text line. (laughs) A neighbor of mine used to dummy. 10 to 15 cans of Coke per day. Yeah, I've known, uh, I know people that had a bad Diet Coke thing. Yeah? Yeah. I think aspartame has that type of addictive quality to it. Yeah, I don't know Perhaps. Yeah, there was a guy in, <laughs> there was a guy in Red Deer. You'd come in and you'd be half asleep in the morning, have your coffee. Hey, how's it going? I'm just crushing DCs. Oh. Out of the bottle. I had a friend who did that with energy drinks when I was in high school. And then he was told, you got to stop or you're going to get diabetes. What do we know about, about the, the energy drinks? That they're basically poison in a can. And we know that, right? It is known. Yeah, I think that's a fair... I don't think I'm... That's not some big company secret that I've been sitting on. There are basically caffeine, sugar, and a whole bunch of other chemicals that what have... What do you know about big energy drinks? <laughs> 
Hey, big energy. Hey, trying to take him down. Yeah, big energy. Yeah. We're going to get him. I work nights, so I always like the sugar rush to keep me going. I'd go through four or five two liters of bo- two liter bottles of Pepsi every day. <sighs> Think of the money you'd spend just like recycling. Oh, yeah. Hey, hauling those bottles back to the old depot. Uh, Ken Weeb will join us. No, no. He strikes me as a guy that not a lot of DCs. He's not a, he's not a pop drinker. Nope. No. He's he's having water, maybe the odd iced tea. I stopped drinking pop when I realized that I could drink my rum straight. Oh, look at you. Look at you. That was it. Yeah. See ya. Good for you. Beat it. Ken Weeb is in uh, Tampa. I don't know. if is, is it like Tampa Metro? Is it like an outskirt? So we'll find out just exactly where he is. Send him down to this Marine Cove and f- has he got some Boca uh, Raton? See is he, if he dressed for the weather? Does he have some swass? What's happening down there? Is it humid? Is it more humid or less humid than Denver? Well, it's 28 degrees right now. Whew. Love and life. Marine code. Love and life. So we'll talk to Weebs coming up. What you want to talk about all on the way in hour number three. Sportsnet 960, the fan.